Pipes and Mitch. Hey everybody, Mitch here. Just to let you all know, on this week's episode, this uh, episode delves into the art of areas that might concern mental health. Uh, we talk about uh, police work and we talk about some of the detrimental impacts that can, men- that can have mentally on a police officer specifically. So if you feel that this episode may trigger you, um, please make sure you use resources that are made available to you free, such as Beyond Blue, the Black Dog Institute, or anything like that, or call Lifeline. I will include the links to those in the in the episode bio, but just be aware that this episode could be confronting to some, and it may contain some material some may consider offensive. Thank you. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to episode 60 of Life's Mitch podcast. So last week, spoke to one of the Twill Nation crew, Timmy McIntyre, and we spoke about his time in Australia as a comedian, uh, and he's absolutely killing it, made us all giggle. And we had a good chat about, you know, in the inside of like mental health and what it is like to, from the perspective of a man and how it's not weak to speak. So please go back and check that out. It was a good episode. This week, I'm chatting to a member of the current New South Wales Police Force in Australia here. Uh, he's a detective sergeant. I'm going to keep his... um his identity anonymous due to reasons and um, which, uh, you know, legality and everything else, but that's okay. I don't need to understand. All you need to hear is a great story and one's coming up. So I'd like to introduce Mr. Anonymous. How are you today, sir? And how's your day going? I'm good, Mitch, if that is your real name, you know, because you do (laughs) seem to have many of them. My absolute pleasure to be here. So Mitch, Ned, whatever you want to call me, I don't care. I'll call, I'll call you Mitch just to keep the confusion to a minimum, I think, well, on this one. But I'll go back to Ned when we go back to Twill. Right, yeah. So the, just like Timmy last week, I know this gentleman through the Twill Nation group. So to everyone out there in Twill Nation, hope you're all well. Glennie, keep on shining champion. Your best is yet to come. <laughs> a little digger. The little digger that could. So as everyone knows, this is a, a podcast about storytelling. And I wanted to ask the detective on here today to share some stories and some insight in regards to what it's like getting into the head of a, of a of a police officer really i know i don't know much about you know those who protect us the, the boys in blue as we'll call them um and it'd be, i thought it'd be interesting to hear some stories from a current serving what do we call you a veteran or a current serving hero uh, or... yeah please mate i am a veteran because i have probationary constables that join or start up and they weren't alive when i joined the job so yeah i'm a veteran unfortunately <laughs> Okay, well, when you started, you might have had hair in your head like I wish I had too. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, so you know, so as so, what I was thinking today was let's talk about the genesis of your time in policing and how you got started and up to today, and we'll talk about some milestones you've been able to achieve and we'll highlight. I know some things we can't go into, which I get. Fair enough, I won't pry. But just to get a, like a general concept of what it's like to be a serving, what's the correct term? A serving officer, a serving police person. Yeah, look, it's, it's funny. Everyone has the office of constable. So even the commissioner is a constable of police. But we've become very Americanized. So it's, it's officer. It's, 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 you know, it's whatever it is. But yeah, the life of a police officer, probably the best way to describe All it. All right. So that's the, that's the name of this episode, the autobiography of Mr. Anonymous, The Life of a Police Officer. <laughs> In brackets, parentheses, bitchy with Mitchy, with Mitchy, bitchy with Mitchy. So we'll, we'll delve into the life of an officer shortly. But what I was thinking was, this is everyone's favourite topic. Uh, it's a good icebreaking tool. It's a good way to have a whinge wine sook. And I was wondering, would you like to join me in having a bitchy with Mitchy this week? I would love to have a bitchy with Mitchy. I've got a topic that's been grinding my gears for the last couple of weeks. Sweet. So, do you want to? Do you want to delve into yep. that? You want to go first while I try and articulate something in his brain of mind. I'll, I'll, I'll reverse it on Timmy and his one. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, look, so mine's about protesters. And my my bitchy with Mitchy might not be what you're expecting. I'm all for Let's protesting. Let's hear it. All for it. I, I think protesting is a really important part of our democratic society and our political society. And people need to be able to have a voice. And I don't know if most people know this. If you want to have a protest, you can. Not a problem. And, in fact, if you... Um, you, you contact your local police station. This is the process in New South Wales, and I assume it would be similar in the other jurisdictions around this country. You contact your local police station, say, listen, I want to do a protest, and I'll get you to submit some paperwork, numbers, what you're planning to do, what you want to do, that sort of stuff. And then we engage in a bit of negotiation with those people and say, yeah, look, great. You want to have a protest? Fantastic. We, we might reduce it to this street or these hours or do this or do that so that you can have that voice that you want to have that you need to have so you can get your voice out there you're like we don't want to be 
a Myanmar or a Russia or any other sort of place where protesters disappear and never come back, where protesters get shot, where protesters get gassed, all that sort of stuff. You don't want that. No, but sure. when you have protesters who don't want to do that, then they believe that they, you know, that their cause is so important that they can just do whatever they want. That really grinds my gears. At the moment, we've got these buffoons in Sydney called Fireproof Australia, and they're an offshoot from Extinction Rebellion. And they are just, it's the bloke who ran on with the flare at the um, Sharks game, that yeah, sort okay. of shit. Yeah, right. It's bullshit. You know, what they are, they're, they're people that say they're, they're concerned for the climate, the climate, the environment. You are, you're, that's your concern, fantastic. I'm concerned as well. You know, I've got water tanks at my house. I've got solar panels I recycle. What do you do? Oh, you block the Harbour Bridge. That's that's how you're going to help the environment, are you? Um, and it, it, they're not about the environment. They're just about being pains in the ass that's that's all it is look at me look at me look how important i am look at the virtue signaling i'm putting out there i blocked the harbour bridge because i believe in the climate i don't do anything else in fact i still drive a shitbox old car that's spewing out diesel fumes i i do everything that harms the environment but i'm fighting for the environment and therefore i'm a good person how wonderful am i don't rate them at all oh, fair enough you and like that, you tell that's been sitting inside me for a while oh. I could tell from the old, uh, from clutching, clutching whatever's in your hand there and clutching the shirt, those, uh, those little pangs, you just like, just let me at them, let me at them. I get it. But like, you know, when it comes to protesting, you know, you always hear in the news, like there's a peaceful way to do it. Like, and just like anything in life, there's, there's a way to execute things. It's similar. Like, I know it's a bad comparison, but you know, you want to have a street party. You let everyone know, you possibly let the police know as well in case of anything bad happening. And I think in this regard, it's fair to say if you're proactive, not reactive, and then you want to try and execute said protest peacefully, that's going to get more traction. And if you're more credible, then that might in turn get more people to your cause. Is that fair enough to say anything? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a really good um, example a couple of years ago where they had uh, one of the student protests, then kids coming out and protesting about the environment. And again, I want people to have a voice. I want people to think for themselves and to have discussions and, and exchange ideas because that's how we grow. Um, you know, the whole, uh, you know, let's stop mining, you know, well, yeah, that's great. I don't know we're going to get the resources to build the, the solar panels and the wind farms and all the rest of it without mining, but, that mining, but that's a discussion for another day. But after their protest, some news crew filmed the ground and it was absolutely just littered in garbage, littered in garbage that they left behind after the protest. So... If you're going to stand up and say, yeah, I'm all for the environment, fantastic, I love it, good message, people listen, but you've got to back it up with your actions. And if your actions don't follow with your rhetoric, then you lose credibility. 100%. Like, And I do work in the MI. I work in the mining industry. So yep. I have for eight years in total, seven or eight years. And a girl I used to date, her sister was an environmentalist. Okay. Like she had a, a degree in environmental science or whatever it was. Sweet. So one of the first times of meeting her, she sat down, so we started talking. So what do you do, Mitch? Oh, I work in a coal mine. You know, I just operate the plant and stuff like that. And we get chatting about things, whatever, fine. And she said, do you know uh, the detrimental impact that's having on the environment? I said, I don't know the statistics or specifics. However, I do know this. So the EPA themselves had set a guideline based on the confines of how we work. So, you know, X amount of dust is allowed in the atmosphere, sound, noise, vibration, all this stuff. We work into the confines of that and then we rehabilitate the land, everything we take out, we put it back in, we plant trees and it was like we were never there. And then she starts trying to use this technical uni jargon and starts to try and belittle me and condescend. I said, you do realise I'm too smart for that and your execution is, is off. Your credibility is gone here because passion overwrites knowledge here in this, in this regard and you're very short-sighted. So I'm going to say to you, if you want to go about having credibility learn the learn the industry first because people a lot smarter than you or i put these in motion so you know just calm your farm essentially well funny enough i'm attached to the mi my brother's a coal miner as well <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> he's um he works on in an underground up near emerald nice my um, brother's underground as well yeah and and we just when we get to see each other which is not never these days because of you know the the spicy cough and everything else. But when we do, we talk shop because that's what you do. And, you know, he said, you know, same as what you just said, they have got the, the strict 
operational rules that they work under. And like, if you want to be concerned about the environment, go and try to enforce those same operational rules in China or India or Pakistan or Bangladesh or half a dozen African countries where there are mines operating and those environmental concerns are not touched. And he said, you know, without coking coal, there is no steel. Without steel, there's no wind farms. Without the mining to create aluminium, you don't have solar panels. And then the reverse is, we try recycling a solar panel. You can't. There is so much shit in a solar panel, you can't recycle it. Yeah. You've got to treat it like radioactive waste. Mm. And it's 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 unfortunate, but like at the moment, it's a necessary evil. We're always going to be mining something, even moving to the future. You've got your Tesla batteries, you've got your you know smart cars and all this stuff. You still need to mine the uranium to power the batteries. So it's always going to be around in some form or other. So I guess my bitch for the week is those who would come up to you and blow up about something that they don't truly understand themselves. Like, yep. so I guess it's in line with this whole protesting thing. It's like, come up to me like this environmentalist chick was like, you're, you're this and that. Well, fucking hang on. You don't understand what you're talking about yourself. So mm. short-sightedness when it comes to like aggressive, I call it aggressive short-sightedness makes you out yep. there. If you're like this, look a little bit silly. So just think about what you're doing. It does. It, it's for me, it translates across to work. Um, and like every industry, people have a whinge and a bitch and I, I'm all for that. But if there's a problem, don't come up to me and talk about the problem. Let's talk about how we can solve the problem. So when, when I have, People at protest saying, you know, mining's bad. All right, great. Mining's bad. What is your alternative? What are you proposing? You know, do you have a solution or are you just, just saying mining's bad? Because if that's it, you're not really bringing much to the table, are you? No, mining's bad. Okay. Okay. I giggled before. For those of you who, who listen to this and don't know what we're talking about. So the podcast this week in league, um, there's a one of the hosts, Glenn, Glenny, he um he supplies gear to the mining industry, and he they the no, other he's a boy, key, key element of the MI, a key he, element. The, the other boys refer to the mining industry as the MI, and they've had laughs on on his behalf, saying, "Oh, you know, you belong in the MI as much as a cleaner who, you know, cleans the toilets is in the MI, or someone who might have once <laughs> shared a KFC meal and put the wrapper in the bin in the MI, whatever it might be." <laughs> so, yeah, you you're right. You wear you wear high vis. You're in the MI. <laughs> Oh, oh no, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because he actually does supply gear, so it's it's funny. Yeah. And if you want a good yeah. listen, you like rugby league, check out the this week in league podcast. I can assure you, it is hilarious and it is a great great um community to be a part of. So if you want to know about rugby league as well, like I don't know about you, I started listening to Twill because I was sick of listening to the same bullshit from the same sports reporters on rugby league and i went there's got to be a better podcast out there and i was just hunting and pecking on my phone looking for a better app a better sorry a better podcast on the app and found it and started listening and went oh this is pretty good and that's how i got into it so yeah they're fantastic yeah i've been i'm only sort of relatively new to the scene i've been in about two years now coming up on two years so yeah about four for me i think yeah, I'm pretty new as well. There's others who have been there since the start, since 2010. So Yeah, so it's 12 years on, power to them. So if you're listening, Absolutely. fellas, shout-outs to you, Nate and Jay. Uh, we're moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Glenny too, I suppose. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right, right, so he was actually on this show in episode about 25. So if anyone's never mm. listened, that was hilarious. And you got Steve-O, Timmy from last week, Andy. They've all been guests from that community. So... All funny, all good dudes. And Sam, an Emmy award-winning sound engineer. How could I forget Sam? Talented people in that group. So, okay, moving forward. I always feel better after a bitchy. And you'll see I'm the Segway King, smooth as it gets. Not really. But But so, okay, so you're a current detective sergeant in the New South Wales Police Force. Okay. Yep. And you're a veteran of, you got young constables. So I'm going to say 20 odd years. Um, So my first question is, how did you get started and when did you know that you wanted a career as a police officer? And can you tell us about the process from young constable up to your current position? I can. So interrupt me at any time, mate, because I could just ramble on this for hours. Um, so I just, as a young bloke, my folks really instilled in my brother and I a sense of service. So we did like volunteer surf life saving. And, you know, if you remember a cricket club, you helped out at the cricket club. You remember a footy club, you help out at the footy club. You don't just turn up, do your thing and, and fuck off. So I knew that I had a bit of a service thing in me. And I also knew that I did not want a job where I was just stuck in an office typing away at a computer. Funnily enough, of course, now 90% of my job is sitting in an office typing away at a computer. So <laughs> And free and, then, and free coffee. <laughs> Actually, no, good coffee is never free. 
good coffee is never free. <laughs> yeah. um, so funnily enough, and this will sound so cliche, there was a really good TV show on the ABC in the late 80s. And it was called, it went for four seasons. And the first two seasons were called Phoenix. And the last two seasons were called Janus. And I was centered around the Victoria Major Crime Squad. And there was an actor in it called Simon Westaway. And I watched this show and it was about these cops. And it was legit realistic. Like sort of like an Australian version of The Wire, basically. And I went, that looks fucking awesome. So at the time, there was two coppers in my surf club. One was a sergeant in the TRG. Another one was a detective inspector at the crime squads. And I went up to him. I said, listen, I'm thinking of joining the cops once I'm old enough. What do you reckon? And they both in their own separate way said, yeah, look, we both, we, you know, I think you'd be good at this, but you don't want to go straight from school. Worst thing you can do, go straight from school. Um, so they said, you got to go out. you got to get some life experience. And there's kind of three main ways you can do that. You get yourself, you go to uni you um, and work part-time while you're at uni uh, or you join the military or get a trade. They're the three main ways you're going to get that sort of life experience you need and then join once you're in your, you know, early to mid-20s. So not a camper, don't like camping. So army was out, not doing that. Uh, Not a tradie either. Like I'm okay doing stuff around the house, but I'm not in that mindset for carpentry or plumbing or any of that sort of stuff. So I went, all right, uni it is. I did a pretty a pretty well in the HSC. So I went to uni, but uni had nothing to do with it. It was the work I was doing while I was at uni. Um, So I was, I was a council lifeguard on the beach and at the pool. And I was working in nightclubs, restaurants, bars, pubs uh, as a waiter and bartender. So learning to deal with the public in emergency situations on the beach. uh, Like I had a situation one uh, the year before I joined the cops, actually, uh, at one beach on the northern beaches where a bloke pulled out what appeared to be a pistol and was waving it around. And I was talking to this guy when the cops turned up. Um, it turned out to be a replica in the end. Um, had people die on me while I was doing uh, lifeguarding as well. Uh, not, not, due to my, not, not due to people drowning or anything like that, because um, that would have looked pretty bad on the resume. Yeah, but, sure. um, <laughs> wow. But, uh, like, yeah people having heart attacks in the car park and stuff like that. So dealing with those sorts of things and then learning to deal with drunk fuckwits in <laughs> nightclubs and bars. That, doing that stuff for four years, that was that's what gave me the good grounding for the coppers. I think like now I've got a, another friend who used to work, he's in the RMS, he's a traffic commander and he used to be, a, he was a GD police officer at um, is it Redfern, I think, for a while. And yep. then he joined the Brisbane Waters Command for another 12 years as a high patrol yep. bike rider and stuff. And basically, scooter pig. Yeah, he, he, he can ride though. Fuck, he can ride. Shout outs to you, Steve-O. Um, but he said that, you know, when I started, like when he was a, a constable doing GD things, like you get called to ice addicts at, you know, whatever time in the morning. He's six foot two. And he said, I've hit a guy in the knees with my baton as hard as I could. And they don't feel that shit. And he said that, you might be the same here, but based on what you just said, you know, you have to have the stomach for it to deal with things like resuscitations and to deal with domestic idiots and uh, drunken fuckwits and everything like that. So would you agree in saying that it's certainly not a career for the faint of heart? Uh, absolutely not. So yeah. I'm skipping I'm skipping a little he- ahead, but this is just an example. Um, when I was doing what's called my A-list, which is when you're training to become a detective, so you've done your time in GDs and proactive and all that sort of stuff, and and you get a start in the detectives. And we had a, a job where a, a kid died under suspicious circumstances. My job was to go to the morgue and view the entire post mortem and, and make notes. Now this is an eight year old kid, so I was what was I? Twenty six. Didn't have kids, thankfully. And I'm watching this, and I'm watching this eight year old kid get chopped up on a on a bench in front of me. So if you, it's not for everyone. Absolutely not for everyone. No, fair enough. Well, we can, we'll get to that stage of your career soon. Yeah. But yeah. so, okay. So I, I skipped ahead too. My apologies. But no, so, okay. so, so you've done your life saving. You've done, you know, you've, you've had some life experience, done uni. So you first joined the cops. So what is, what's it like in the first few years? You, you train in Goulburn. Is that right? And then. Yep. So the, the trainings at Goulburn um, was then, is now. The training is a lot different to when I did it. I wouldn't be able to comment on how they're training now. It's it's they've changed it completely. Six months of training, so two months at the academy. Then you did a month in the field at a police station in full police uniform, but no gun, no handcuffs or anything else like that. 
And you had to wear these slides on your epaulets on your shoulders that said student, but you're in full uniform and you went to everything. You went the car crashes, the the whole lot. So, all right, so talking stomach, and this is early on. So I'm a student police officer and I was at my local police station and we went to a suicide or a deceased, suspected suicide. Bloke was a butcher, um, a Richie tub, as they as they're also called. You know why they're called Richie tubs? No, no idea at all. Butcher backwards. So if you're working in the butchers and you've got the glass front of window and you're looking at the t- word butcher in front of you, it actually says Richie Tub. Okay. So butchers have their own method of speaking where they turn words backwards. So you don't know what they're talking about when they're talking in front of you. Okay. So I, I did. I did. I worked in my uncle's butchers when I was a young bloke earning extra pocket money on holidays. Anyway, back to the story. So <laughs> this um this butcher, he'd been punching cones all night. He'd had a fight with his missus snapped, went up to this headland, pulled out a boning knife, opened up both carotid arteries in his neck, opened up both the arteries in his wrist and then threw himself off the headland. Um, yeah. yeah, broke his neck when he landed. So, so like he, he was, he was dead no matter what. He was not, he was not messing around, was he? Fuck me, nah, he, he, he was, he was a man on a mission and he was going to complete his mission and he was legit because he didn't make phone calls or anything. He just left. I'm going to have to put a he disclaimer just- at the start of this episode. You might have to. You might have to. Sorry. No, no, that's See, good. This is the, good. This is the problem when you're a cop, right? Like you go out to dinner with a bunch of people that aren't cops and I'll be talking about something that doesn't worry me at all. Like I, I think it's just, this is another day at the office, but the people I'm speaking with, they're, they're fucking horrified. So oh, go for yours. I, yeah, this is good. This yeah. is what I want. Yeah. So I'm there as a student and, and, and the, the detectives are really good and they're going through what they're doing and how they're explained, like, you know, the process and all the rest because I don't know shit. You know, you, you're like a first-year apprentice on a building site. You don't know shit. And one of the other uniformed officers said, oh, there's something weird on this plant. And I had a look and I went, oh, yeah, that's blood. And he goes, how do you know? I said, oh, lifeguarding. I've dealt with arterial sprays when people get fin chopped in the leg and stuff like that. So I said, that's that's blood. And the crime scene guy did his little swizzle thing with the um, – little stick and came back on the leukemite test as being blood and all the rest of it. And so we've gone down and, and seen this body on the rocks at the bottom of this headland. And he was, yeah, it was crumpled. Now I'm looking at it and I thought, this is the test. This is where I know if I can handle this job or not. And I went, didn't worry me, not didn't worry me a bit. I'll, I'll go back a bit. So I've missed like when my first week at the Academy, my very first week was reasonably soon after the Port Arthur massacre. I've been to Port Arthur. Arthur. I've been to, I've been to yep. Port Arthur. I remember that as a kid when it happened in the media. A very, very sad day. Yep. So in our first week, they took us all into the main auditorium and they said, we're going to show you the crime scene video of Port Arthur. It's going to show every dead body in situ and in, in, as it is, as it was found. In situ means on site at the scene. Yeah. Yep. For those of yep. you playing at home. So they, they ran and they, and they said before they started the video, they said, this is very horrific. It's confronting. And if you need to leave the room, not a problem. But your first day on the truck, you might be called to this incident, incident similar. So you, you're going to watch this video and therefore you can work out for yourself, is this something I can handle if I have to go to it? Fair so enough. So watched it and no one left the auditorium, but 10 people left the next day. Wow. Well, I guess in that, in that industry, in that position, you're going to need people that can handle that sort of thing. You know, you, you've got to separate the weak one or quite unquote weak. I won't say weak, but you got to separate those who can't handle it at some point. Don't you? People are different. Every person, every person on this planet has a skill set, every single person, and their skill set will work in a certain industry or a certain place, a certain job. Your lowest drug addict piece of shit still has a skill set that could be used somewhere. Um, I've seen some drug addicts yeah. amazing with mass, like doing weighing up oh. weed and shit like that, like incredible mass. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, um, yeah, you you need to know that this is the job you can handle. Um, but and we'll talk about later because we are talking about stress and mental health. I've had a lot of stress and mental health issues from the cops. None of it to do with the operational side. Okay. Oh, we'll delve into bit. that. We'll delve into that and yep. share as much as you'd like to. So, yep. okay. So you've, you've watched this video, you've done your training yep. and then, so where were you posted first? Was it somewhere in Sydney? Yeah. Or? So, yeah so after, after the, um, after the month out in the field, you do another three months at the Academy. And while you're doing that training, you put in for your posts and I was posted to an inner city patrol in Sydney. And how was your time um, there? Were you there long or? Oh, mate, it was mad as it yeah. was exciting. Yeah, it was so it was late nineties. Um, there was action. I was in two shootouts in my first nine months in the job. Um, it was Bloody hell. full ball, full ball. Um, it was and again, 
it's where you've got a taste for things and you realize if this job is for you or not. So um, most people, if they pull the pin, they pull the pin in the first three years. So Okay, no, fair enough. Well, yeah. so you've done, so how long was your first posting and was that, you come out as a probation constable, is that right? Yeah, so probation constable, you do that for a minimum of a year. Um, if you uh, pass all your exams and everything else, you get your, you get confirmed as a constable after one year service. Then if you want to get become a senior constable, you've got to do another four years and pass. Um, well, this is, again, back then, I don't know what the process is now. It's changed. But then you had to do more exams and more assignments, get your senior constable. And then after that, it's going to depend on whether you want to seek promotion to sergeant or go into specialist areas or all sorts. The, the world's your oysters and the cops. Like Ambos, they might have 15, 20 different jobs they can do. Barry's the same. Cops, there are literally hundreds of different roles that you can do. Okay, so you... Really- so you're constable probationary period and go to senior. It's kind of like doing an apprenticeship. So you finish that and then you can go and do a specialist area. Like say if you do a building apprenticeship and then you go on and do something else. Is it similar? In 100%, same yeah, 100%. Um, my brother was a tradie before he went to the mines and it's exactly the same because, you know, your first year apprentice, you know shit. You don't know fucking shit. And what you learn from is doing menial tasks and watching other people do what they do and absorbing and then getting told what to do. You fuck up the first time and then you build your skill set and you just keep building, keep building. And once you get about five years service, you actually have an idea of what you're doing and how you're doing it. That's when you really are confident in how to carry out your duties. So where, so, did, where did you, where then you, did your path take you after that? Were you high patrol? Did you, what came uh, next? No, 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 I've never fucked a jury. Um, <laughs> so in the cops, we call high patrol jury fuckers <laughs> because, um, because they, you know, they give tickets to general public who end up being on my juries, and then they remember that dirty highway patrolman who gave them a ticket. So, um, yeah, we call them jury fuckers. That being said, some of my best mates <laughs> on the highway patrol, and and from That's a detective's awesome. point of view, from a detective's point of view, highway patrol are an awesome resource, awesome resource, because they're out and about. They've got number plate regist- uh, recognition cameras in their cars. They they are an asset an absolute asset and that's that's the best attitude to have is use the assets around you to get the job done so my career path was uh did my probation at this inner city command uh, did a couple of secondments um in plain clothes back into uniform back to plain clothes just jumped around i've got a taste for everything um field intelligence proactive units drug units all that sort of stuff uh i trained up as what was called an osg operation support group right police basically for want of a better word and then I was attached to the Sydney Olympics command for three months, um, working see. on both the Olympics and the um, and the Paralympics. Jeez, you've done it all, haven't you? Bloody hell! I wouldn't say that, but I've, I've, I'm I'm lucky, man. I must have been kissed on the dick by someone because I've just I've been in the right place at the right time so often that I've just been able to experience heaps of things. When I finished that, um, I had expressed an interest in detectives, and when I finished at the Olympics, a spot was offered to me in detectives at an, at an inner city command again. So my first, um, shit, my first 19 years were all inner city. Oh, wow. So to get into being a detective, is there, so are there different kinds of detectives like investigative, there's forensic, there's homicide. No, there... it's, okay. So it's a new, and I'll caveat New South Wales is very different to other jurisdictions and how it all works. The basics is, Technically, you should start your detectives at a police station as the local detectives. However, sometimes people go straight to the squads um, and there's a whole bunch of different circumstances, including sycophancy and empire building, which leads to that. But the, the usual path is you start at the um, at your police station, you, you cut your teeth there, and then later on you apply or you get selected to go to the squads and work in one of the squads. So you basically have to wait for a position to come up. Like I've worked for gov- for government positions as well. And I don't know, to tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but I spent six years in the RMS and you couldn't get a position unless it was vacant or someone left. Is it similar for the cops? You have to wait for someone to leave or? Certain sections, certain section, yes. So that, that area that I've we spoke about before the interview that we can't talk about here, and I'm hoping to get a spot there, I have to wait for someone to leave there before I can get in. Okay, so, fair enough. But then there's other sections when they can't get staff, screamings for staff. They're, they're, you know, so that they, they'll take almost anyone because they can't get bodies to fill the holes. What, uh, what are some of the lesser uh, wanted positions, do you think? All right. Yeah. Okay, so um, these days, commands in metropolitan Sydney near the, near the water, 
are not sought after because no one can afford to live anywhere near them. If you're a young bloke joining the cops now, 23, um, and you want to buy a house or a flat and you're stationed at, say, northern beaches or eastern suburbs or eastern beaches, which are the three commands that are along the coast in the metropolitan area or, or in South, uh, not so much Southern Shire, it's a different story down there, but those three, you're commuting a long way to get there. And on top of that, there's limited public transport to those three commands as well. So if you're commuting, you're driving. So they struggle to get staff there because staff will go do their three years and then they'll go closer to home. Newcastle, Central Coast, Blue Mountains, like half hour northwest of Windsor, an hour southwest of Camden. You know, you've got cops commuting from those sorts of distances to work in the, in the um, eastern suburbs of Sydney and northern suburbs of Sydney. Well, that's not good for the fatigue if, you know, you're doing like continuous night shifts or something. like. Well, it's 12-hour shifts, right? Mm. So you, if you're doing a 12-hour shift and you don't incur any overtime, you're looking at an hour and a half to two hours to get home and then another hour and a half and two hours to come back for the next shift. So that leaves you with six hours max to sleep. And how good is sleeping in the daytime? Oh, I that's one reason I moved out here was, was for no more night shifts. So I, I said it before, like anyone who's a, a shift worker, whether you be in the mines, health, police, hospitality, whatever, you have my respect. And I did it for yeah. or even longer. In the RTA, I was on a RMS. I was on a road patching crew and we work on the M1 motorway each night. So collectively, yep. I've been doing it for about eight years. Yep. And you age terribly. I'm only about nine years old. Like it's just a toll. <laughs> 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 Mate, as you can see, I've got a beard and I've got no hair and my beard is grey. I'm sure it's actually from that. Um, you look, good for, you look good for 30. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I have um, a lot of nights and in my role as a detective and in that other role that we can't talk about, it's nothing for me to get called out, you know, I've been called out three times in one night. I've been called out 15 or 16 times in one week. Um, at one stage, we had this thing called the wireless car where you had to work seven nights in a row, 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that was that was just torture. That was unbelievable. I was absolutely wrecked at the end of that. And it was from Wednesday to Wednesday. So it took you out of play for two weeks, just working nights. It was fucked. Yeah, uh, the, the pit I'm at now, so if I was underground or in the open cut area, I'm, I'm separate. I'm, we're building a dam. They do seven days on, seven off, seven nights on, seven off. And that would be yeah. a tough, tough gig. One of the guys I live with, he's a sparky underground and he does that he does yeah. that roster. And yeah. I used to do it I used to do a four panel, so we do two days, two days, two nights in the same week, guaranteed. So, yeah. you know, power to all those out there. So well, that's the that's that's how GD's cops main in the work in the main, in the metro area, not so much the country, but in the metro, it's two days, two nights, four to six days off, depending on where the roster is. Okay. Well, I um, you know, I always I respect those who are shift workers, but even those that are out there putting themselves potentially in harm's way to keep everyone safe, it's it's created a newfound respect from my my point of view, anyways. Yeah. So like I don't do the shift work anywhere near as much now, but the call outs is what gets me. So I've had weeks where between Monday morning and Friday night, I've had less than twelve hours sleep. That's hardcore. Um so actually there was another guy I work and he's since retired, but he was a uh, General Duties Police Officer, I think, between Maitland. He spent some time in Sydney and Newcastle. And he used to call, yeah. and he's a he's a six-foot-two guy as well, he's a big guy, and he used to call, like, when he got called to a housing domestic, he used to call them shitbags. He goes, oh, I used to hate yes. used to hate dealing with shitbags, Mitch. You know, he told me some stories about, you know, blokes touching up their wives or, you know, those on high on ice. Or oh, oh, I couldn't do it. Mad respect, hey. Like, oh. You, you, you realise how good your life is when you're going into housing commission estates to break up domestics and you get there and it's always a bloke on the missus and she's been beaten to a pulp. And then when she realises he's getting locked up, but he's the one that's got the source who gets the ice and without him around, she won't be able to get the ice. And then she turns on you and attacks you because you're taking away her man, even though she called the cops. That sort of that's a regular occurrence. It's an evil cycle, isn't it? Like I, when you said that, then like one, it's horrible that people are being bashed, and you know, domestic violence is no joking matter. And no. on top of that, you then have a drug issue, and then tolerance, and you know, sorry, uh, reliance on these substances, and then so it's a it's an issue that comes full circle, and that's horrible. Yep, it is. It is throw kids into the mix. Uh, throw people with no pe uh, social skills, undiagnosed autistics, all sorts of issues. 
housing commission estates were a fantastic idea in theory, but like lots of social theories, they do not work in execution. Yeah, I've spent, so going off topic here, I've, um, close friends of mine, I won't name them, have four foster children and they do it through a mob in Newcastle known as, I won't say them either, like they are kind of like a contractor to docs and yep. they're, those four children, their parents, one of them, one of them, the parents are siblings and the other three, you know, suffered oh, evil things as children, sexual, yep. like, um, her, uh, sexual assault and one of the, the youngest boys mum was high on meth when she was pregnant with him like sensory yep. issues and anyways it's it's awful yep and they were saying i went to a few because uh, i lived with them for a while and I, they took me to a few seminars and they're talking about the four developmental stages of the brain you know the first one being like survival instinct and the second one's like body reactions like breathing and, and stuff and blinking and stuff the third one spoke about you know they call it the old brain versus the new brain. The new brain is the higher pro thought processes. Like if I steal that, I'll get caught or, you know, yep. I'm feeling anxious. So I need to deal with it. The third stage is survival mode. So, you know, say if um, a young troubled kid from a, from an area, I don't know, maybe from like Blacktown or something goes ahead and steals yep. some clothes and shit. A lot of uh, this seminar said that a lot of the, uh, what is the case in a lot of these areas and correct me if I'm wrong, is that that fourth developmental stage of brain function or higher capacity never truly developed. So yeah. you've got people that are malnourished. You've got people that are potentially substance written, never have that chance to fully have their brains developed. And therefore you see higher crime rates. You see, see things like no repercut. They don't think there's repercussions because they can't truly comprehend it. And yeah. So is that, I mean, obviously that's one issue, but is that right in sounding? Is that are my facts right there? Oh, yeah. There's no, it's, it's no, there's no one simple A happened to, to cause B. So it's not, you know, he's in a housing commission estate, so that's why he's a criminal. It is parents not equipped to be parents, lack of love, lack of nurturing, new, proper nutrition, proper education, being cared for properly as a baby. You know, uh, friends of mine were working country, they had to take a, a child away from an Aboriginal family, which is a another whole load of issues on top of other issues they had to take this baby away because the baby was being fed coca-cola and flour mixed with water so no milk no formula coca-cola flour mixed with water oh my, my heart breaks yeah. that little kid yeah absolutely but what do we as the cops get accused of doing we're propagating the stolen generation because we're taking a child away from an aboriginal family so which do we do all these different things um you know, kids not going to school, dad's arrested so you don't have a strong male figure in the house. Mum's working two jobs to try to support the family so there's no strong female figure in the house. There's none of those structures or controls in place to build a kid up, which is why you sometimes have a kid from a housing commission estate who's then playing wing for, you know, the storm. But his cousins are dirty, filthy drug dealers in a housing estate in central Sydney. You know, you just need one, one or two little factors in place and a kid can go on off in a completely different direction. Yeah, okay. So, and all, all we're doing now is when we're just, just giving some examples of what could be and some things that are. So, you know, I know that we're not here to out any minorities and stuff, which we're not doing. These are just factual things that the sergeant yep. detective has had has been exposed to. So this isn't a slander on any minorities or whatever. This is just examples given based on his experiences. I just wanted to clear that up. Absolutely. And, and when I'm saying housing commission, I'm talking Asian housing commission, white trash, islanders, Aboriginals. The, um, now these days, Sudanese uh, and other North African groups, and they are think the mindset is here's a, here's a house and we'll throw some money at you and good luck. And it's not enough. It's not enough. You need a lot more integrated approach, which costs lots and lots and lots of money. And that money's not there. And the support's yeah. not there. So it's for, you know, it's it's hit and miss, single swim. Some kids will get through it and, and thrive. Other kids will just pass on through and others, they don't have a chance. You know, uh, uh, you see a kid doing shoplifting at eight, stealing, um, the breaking in is at 10, stealing cars at 12, committing armed robberies at 14, Okay. What's the chance of rehabilitating a 14-year-old who's doing armed robberies at 14 when he's been doing pretty much unimpeded criminality for over half his life? Very low. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a personal feeling on it, and this is my personal belief, and I never translate this to work because I'm an officer and I have to uphold the values of the New South Wales Police. But my personal viewpoint is the, to start of it, I would actually legalise all prohibited drugs, make it a health issue straight away and shuffle a whole lot of money that's been used on 
punitive and put it into preventative and, and rehabilitative. I've been fighting the war on drugs for a very long time and we are not making any differences. And if I could give an example. So when I first started at that inner city command in the 90s, there was a bloke there. I'm going to call him, I'm going to call him Bobby. Okay, Bobby, Bobby. Bobby was a mad drug dealer. Okay. Mad drug dealer. I left that command, bounced around a whole bunch of other commands and I returned to that command 21 years later. Okay. Haven't been there for 21 years. Bobby was still there in his housing commission unit, still dealing drugs. Nothing to change in 21 years. That's very sad. Very, very. And what a waste very. of resources potentially as well. Like, Yep, yep. All the rehab he'd been sent to, all the free medical services he'd had. And he ended up dying of an overdose when in hospital. He actually had a drug overdose while he was in hospital yeah. and died. His friends brought him in a, a load and he went into the bathroom in his room and did his business and, yeah. See, this is a world where I'll put regular people, me included, we don't know, we have no idea, you know, we, we don't know that the detrimental effects that, like, it can have and to have an insider's perspective like this is shining light on what seemingly could be done in a lot better ways. Like, I don't know, like, I'm not going to take a guess and say what this happened because I've got, I've got no idea, but... I think having these conversations and giving these, giving the knowledge is a powerful tool to have. So I, I commend you for coming on and stuff. Oh, it's um, my pleasure. Um, I think one of the issues we have is, and I'm not going to be a politician, Delta, our politicians are always thinking to the next election. This, there are solutions to these problems, but they're generational solutions. They have to be implemented slowly, steadily with proper planning and, and everything else. And no one's willing to do that because we've got an election in two years and we need to do something so the public can see we're doing something so we can get the votes so we can get re-elected. So. Yeah, well, it's, um, yeah, I don't know, like it's all got to start at ground level and, you know, we have to have forward-thinking politicians and we have to have current-thinking ones as well. Like, you know, they're there to represent their, their local electorate and the, the public of Australia. And I'm not left or right field that I'm the last person to speak to about politics. I'm I'm not educated well enough in that stance to make a, an accurate comment. But what I do know is that it seems like this is an, an ongoing issue. And, you know, as you said, the war on drugs, how many underbelly series based on true facts are there? Like how many like series do you see like how much resources and every you know this task unit has spent a hundred million dollars catching these people and rah, 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 rah. anyways i'll give you a hundred one examples but what i'd know is yeah. that it seems to be not being done in the correct way and hopefully well, I, I, things get better in future to boil it down to one simple paragraph the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result and that's what we're doing just keep doing the same thing expect things to change that's podcasting 101. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like being a West Tigers fan. <laughs> oh, or a St. George Dragons fan. <laughs> Both those fan bases. Or I know a certain uh, This Week in League host you, who hates one of those demographics. <laughs> yes, I, I'm well aware because I'm a member of that demographic. So, uh, <laughs> oh, you're my sworn rival. I'm a Sharky. I'm, yeah, my cousin uh, is, a, is a Sharky's fan and he reminds me of this every time. Every goddamn time, because the rest <laughs> of the family are all dragon supporters. He's the lone shark supporter. My my best mate Alex is also a, a dragon, and uh, I told him the story about uh, the mass bar incident. <laughs> and he's now yeah. a listener to this to that podcast. <laughs> well, okay. as I, as I said on one of the um on one of the other episodes uh, in my role as Mister Anonymous. I can confirm there was no Mars bar, but let's keep the <laughs> Mars bar story going because it's too good a story to let die. Let's not this, get facts getting away. This is the the gift that keeps on giving. So for those of you unaware, it was suggested that uh, Michael Hutchins had a thing for Mars bars and uh, there was insertion into places and it was just a smorgasbord of, uh, of disappointment. So <laughs> I won't delve too much into it. You want to know more? Check out This Week in League forward slash links. Yeah. Nate, Nate would appreciate that, I'm sure. He would, he would. And then and then go to Patreon, join the member sides, listen to the back catalogue. You'll be entertained for a very long time. This week in Popo. <laughs> <laughs> so moving forward, uh, what's next for you? So you've you've got this role we can't talk about. You're a detective sergeant. Um, are you to have aspirations to take on some more duties as you go forward or what's next for you? No, no, it's... Um, you got to know, you got to stay in your lane, and you got to know your skill set. The other area which we can't talk about. If that all works, then I'm done in seeking promotion. I'll um, I'll stay in that area. 
until I retire. And with Sydney housing prices and mortgages, that won't be for about another 20 years. Um, <laughs> You'll be 50 when you retire. How good? No, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, I'll be Roger Mur- Murtor in the, um, in the first lethal weapon, you know, because he's talking about. I'm getting too old for this shit. I'm getting too old for this shit. Um, the Australian version. <laughs> hang on. Take there you go. Inspector. You, your sound was gone for about the last thirty seconds there. So yeah, if if the the thing with the um un, the the secret area doesn't work, I'll probably seek promotion to inspector and then just see my days out as an inspector, which is the next rank up. Okay. And yeah. Then, and just and is this, is there a way to? Do you have to do more study for that? Do you just have to more experience? Or? But these days it's about runs on the board. So you need to get as much relieving in that area. So acting inspectors work so that you can say that you've done certain KPIs and certain roles at that rank and then apply to become a substantive. It's a long process. So when I got promoted to sergeant from start to finish, that took three years. Okay. So it's doing more secondments, acting as high duties, all that sort of thing. and All that sort of thing. Learning the trade. Oh, okay, that's fair enough. Similar to other trades. Um, but, yeah, that's um, – I'm, I'm very fortunate. I love my job. I love my job, most of it. Um, as I said before, that there's certain things that cause me great stress, and, and I probably do have PTSD from those other parts of the job. But 90% of the job I actually really enjoy. And, and my old man, he hated his job towards the end of his career, and – it must be soul crushing to wake up in the morning knowing you've got to go to a job that you fucking hate. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm a very lucky man in that I wake up in the morning and I go to a job that I enjoy doing. I'm reasonably good at, and I know that I do do some good and, and help people. Well, kudos to you for doing what you do. And I thank you on behalf of probably a lot of people. And I think as thank well, I, I, say, I say this on the podcast all the time. If you're going to spend what 33% of your life doing something, whether work that's on statistically that's about what your work life is 33 percent of your yep. life based on an eight eight hour eight hour day monday to friday generally it's about that so yep. if you are going to head going to go ahead and spend time doing that you know i understand that we all need an income so maybe we all have to work a shitty job at some point but why not work towards something that you like if you don't know what your likes are think of what your skill set are skill sets are and then based on that talk to a careers guidance counselor or something and maybe do some work experience that's how i started in radio doing this and i'm now i'm on the precipice of maybe entering the industry in a paid gig in bathurst yeah so and all that's awesome thank you all that started just talking to a plastic stick Mm, you got to um you might you got to do jobs that you don't like so you can get to the job that you like you can't just start at the top and work your way sideways that's yeah that's the reality like i've worked in mining like i don't mind mining it's fine but ultimately doing 12 hour shifts all the time can be harsh. So I'll, I'll, I'll happily do it for the next few years at least easily. But if someone said to me tomorrow, oh, we're going to offer you a decent paying broadcasting job, I'll, I'll sign the dotted line. But, mm. you know, that takes time and you start as a casual position and then work your way up. So that's my ambition. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, I've been lucky. I've been able to forge my path. Well, as I said, mate, I've been listening to your back catalogue over the last few days, and I think you've got some dead set talent. And I'm and I have not been paid to say that. I have not been told to say that. I'm saying that freely of my own volition. So thank mate, you. I, I hope it works at Bathurst. I really do. And that's come from someone who knows a thing or two about good people. I can assure you. So thank you, sir. That means a lot. My so pleasure. My if pleasure. The, if you had to pass on some advice to Anyone listening to this thinking about potentially joining the police force in this in the state or territory, what would you say to them? Um, it's a it is a great job. However, if you're unfit, don't do it. If you need a minimum eight hours sleep a night, don't do it. Um, and if you aren't resilient, don't do it. And it's it's not about so much about the death and the destruction and the mayhem and the blood and the violence. Although that's a big part, and and that's that's why you got to be fit because sometimes you do need to punch on. With someone and you need to be able to handle that you need to be fit enough to be able to say work 24 hours straight on a because you're at a crime scene and it's hot and the job is running when i say hot there's lots of leads and we've got to go 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 we've got to keep on moving we can't stop because if we stop it fails um but it's about being resilient dealing with poor managers about being resilient because um because you're working with lazy co-workers and if you can't handle the stress that goes along with working with people that don't have the same ethic as you or people that have poor leadership skills, then if you don't have that resilience to be able to handle that, you will fall apart. Because 
if you speak to most cops, the stress doesn't come from the mayhem, the destruction, the violence, the death. It comes from shit bosses and lazy co-workers. Fair enough. Well, there's some words of advice there. And you spoke before about things like trauma, mental health, anxiety, you know, to be expected in a career that would expose you to scum of the earth, quote unquote, and things like death and blood and violence. As someone who's been in the industry for a long time, it is important to look after your health holistically, not just physically, but your mental health as well and stuff like that. So, you know, real talk from your perspective, how important is it to look after your mental health as well as your physical? Like, Yeah, so your mental health is crucial and it's directly connected to your physical health as well. I, and I'm a big believer in that. Um, so it's very easy to fall into the trap in the, in the cops of uh, dealing with your mental health issues by getting pissed. Really easy for people to fall into that trap. Just going out on the drink and and very negative. And don't get me wrong, wrong, sex and alcohol are crucial in dealing with your mental health. And I'll elaborate that in a second, but they should never be your primary. And that's the old school way of thinking. Yeah. So like when, when I had a guy die on me on, when I was a lifeguard, um, he had a heart attack. We did CPR on him for about 30 minutes waiting for the ambos to get there. And we had him for about the first 10 and then we lost him and he never came back. And my supervisor said, meet me at the pub tonight, went there, had about 12 schooners, and that was my debrief because that's how it was back, and that's not good. And that's and that's how the – so um, that's how it was when I first joined the cops as well. So the first shooting I was in, I was only in six months, and I won't go into the details because it's a very well-known case, but at the end of it, I had a psychologist come out to see me that night. It was obvious he didn't want to be there because he'd been called out. He spoke to me for less than three minutes. And then I got a follow-up phone call from him a year later. And that was it. That was all I got. So I realized really early. Sorry? I just said, wow. That's, wow. So I realized really early I needed to be able to handle my stress myself. And as I said, I soon realized that the actual operational aspects didn't really worry me that much. It was poor leadership, poor decision-making, lazy co-workers, that sort of stuff. So firstly, having someone you can talk to, someone that won't judge you, but will pull you into fucking line if you need to be pulled into line. If you need to be told, no, you're wrong, you need someone who has the balls to say that. You can't just have someone agree with you because then they're just an echo chamber. You can't have an echo chamber. You've got to have someone who's strong enough and respectful enough to go, yep, I'm listening to what you're saying, but you're wrong about this, or I'm listening to what you're saying, but you need to think, consider this. You need that person. That's number one. Number two is exercise. So I, um, I recently broke my leg. And I'm just recovering now. I couldn't get to the gym or the pool or the boxing ring for three months. And it was fucked. Um, I was basically just throwing some weights around in the garage while sitting in a chair. That's all I could do for the last three months, exercise-wise. While my typical routine is I'll get up at 2.45 in the morning, go to the gym, lift weights, box, go to work. And I'll, you know, in a week, I'll do five gym sessions, three swims and three boxing sessions. That's And that's my main way I keep my mental health under control. Alcohol, yep, a couple of beers. Nothing tastes better than that first beer on a Friday afternoon. I challenge anyone to say different. <laughs> I agree. Um, having a hobby and having a willing sexual partner is also fantastic because sex, you want to get you want to remove stress from your life in, in three minutes or less. Then <laughs> <laughs> what do you st- stop bragging, mate? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do that, then that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Sometimes um, then- sometimes a nice little choke as well goes down. <laughs> Choking is very underrated, very underrated. And I don't know why more blokes uh, in the in the MI don't take it on, personally. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I move on. <laughs> is it a scoop or a bucket? It, it, well, it's obviously a scoop that does bucketing, or is it a bucket that does scooping? I'm not too sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, but Inside what joke. I, Inside joke. But that's... The- <laughs> That's this and all that and more this week in league. Um, yes. <laughs> but no, oh, that's I, a great, that, that was Nate. I actually thought that was Nate for a second there. <laughs> I've perfected it. Um, but yeah. I just think that, yeah, so real talk, you just heard, everyone, you just heard a firsthand experience, just how serious uh, it is. So please, you're out there. Uh, I'm going to post some links underneath for uh, some free resources to use to help with your mental health. If this has triggered anything, if this has set you off, uh, please contact these mobs like, the Black Dog Institute, Beyond Blue, um, places like that that are free. You can call them up and have a chat if, if it set you off. But I think it's been good to have this open chat today because these are issues that 
are affecting some of our, what do they call it, the state's finest, the guys and girls in blue. Um, you know, they're up there, they're the front lines. They're fighting the invisible war that the public never sees. So, uh, Mr. Anonymous, Detective Anonymous, I thank you for everything that you've done thus far, um, shining a light on and, and on issues that needed need to be spoken about more. And I'd like to have you come back on at some point and chat more about uh prevalent issues and stuff if you'd be up for it absolutely mate it'd be my pleasure and if i could leave with this thought yeah, um, please obviously do. no one can no one can see me but you can i'm like 182 about 115 kilos i got the beard the tattoos like people that don't know me think that i'm like some sort of piece of shit rough nut um and to a certain extent i am and to a certain extent i'm the world's biggest teddy bear um but I'm man enough that when the shit is bad, I will go and book in some visits with a psychologist. I will do that in a heartbeat. I've got no problems with doing that. I don't consider myself to be weak or anything else because talking to someone who has no personal connection to you and therefore can be completely independent and completely honest with you does absolute wonders for your mental health when you need to get something off your chest and you're afraid to say it to anyone else because even though you're friends, you're worried that they might judge you. Well. If some complete stranger you have no connection with is going to judge you, who cares? But you're going to be able to get it off your chest and they might just give you some good advice back that will help you work through those problems. So I strongly recommend it. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, thing to think about. It's like, well, if you're going to be judged, you may as well judge someone who's going to help you, you know? 100%. Powerful words in that. Like I, and I have been using counsellors for years to deal with bad breakups, like moving to this new town. I've struggled with the concept of a new job, living with strangers, um, new scenery and i finally now feel like i'm back to my regular idiot self um just plugging away one um one choking at a time <laughs> just kidding well, <laughs> and, and this is <laughs> this isn't a judgment thing or anything mate but because we we and i don't know if you've explained this much but we, we, we chat on various social media platforms and all the rest of it like this is the first time we've actually spoken but we talk a lot in other um arenas and i can tell when you're having a bad time even if you don't disclose it, I can just tell yeah. through how you message various nuances. And you want to be able to say to someone, are you all right? Do you need a hand? The tour group's been fantastic for that, especially during the whole spicy coffee era of just backing people oh. up and supporting people. Yeah. I had I was struggling this time last year. I I I was I lived by myself and during lockdown I couldn't see anyone because I didn't live in the same LGA and just a regular episode. So if you're able to find solace in a fandom or uh, whatever it might be, for me, their podcast has helped a lot. And I've had a few people reach out and say that my podcast has helped a lot. So I'm, I'm grateful for for anyone out there who who has done that. And then when I got to go to Magic Round last year up to Brisbane and, and meet some of the fine tool folk, um, it made me feel so much better. And yeah, and it helped me a lot, like just to get away yeah. to see people and meet new people. I was so excited this year, looking forward to it again. So yeah, 100%. unfortunately I won't be there this year. I'm hoping next year, unfortunately, um, that job that I can't talk about, I start that job next month. So may obviously be too busy to, uh, now fair enough. Hopefully, hopefully we can see you at the grand final that I'm not missing no matter what I will be at the grand final hundred percent. Sweet. when no. the dragons, when the dragons defeat the uh, Cronulla sharks in the actual grand final. Well, it might happen in Jersey Flick or something like that. <laughs> Mate, dragons always kill it in juniors. And then once it gets to first grade, they just fall apart like a fucking overcooked souffle. They're just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, I've got my res- reservations about that. One S Woods or one Hook oh. or one whoever. Um, human handbrake. Don't, don't, don't get me going to NRL world because all I'm going to say is don't coaches and commentators see the same thing as the rest of us because I – I wouldn't put Aaron Woods in under 21s. Like, I, you, you, why would you select him? What does he do? He's, he's a guaranteed six to 12 points allowed in by the opposition every game. What, he's, he's, uh, what he is, is not my problem anymore. So he's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Never true words have ever been spoken. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, we'll continue to chat, but I'll get this edited. And out there soon. And as I said, everyone, I will put some resources down and I'll record a, a thing at the start to, to say that this might trigger some people. But thanks for your time, Detective Constable. Uh, you're a champion. Sergeant Detective Constable. I can't remember. I'm sorry. 
it's all good, man. It's all good, man. Mate, it's my pleasure. And yeah, sometime down the track, I'd love to come back on. Absolutely. Sweet. Absolutely. Oh, maybe we can and, work, uh, ask, a, ask a police officer kind of segment or something like that. Mate, not a problem at all. Anything I can do to assist you with your uh, with your broadcast, but also I love helping other – I actually joined the cops so I can help people. It's, and I know there are people oh, – he joined the cops because he got bullied at school or he joined the cops or whatever. And, yeah, there are, there are blokes like that in the cops. But me personally, I joined because I could do a job where I can help people. So anything I can do to help, it would be my absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for doing what you do. And as always, thanks everyone for listening. And as we're moving forward, I hope that this has actually uh, been insightful for you as it has for me. And um, yeah, your, your feedback's always welcome. Check us out on the socials, Life's Mix Podcast, or send an email, Life's Mix Podcast, gmail.com. And as always, thanks everyone. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.